From Sector 001 in the Alpha Quadrant, this is the Omega Directive, Episode 3, Track Traveling, Take 1. Are you a Terran? Yes, I'm a Terran. Are you vacationing on Kronos? Yes, I'm vacationing on Kronos. Do you know anyone here? No, I don't know anyone here. Are you transporting Tribbles? No, I'm not transporting Tribbles. Okay, hello and welcome to the Omega Directive, a Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Steve Atwell. Joining me tonight is an author, is a New York Times bestselling author of two dozen different Star Trek books, several of which were co-written with Kevin Dilmore, who hopefully will be on the program soon. He's also written a number of Star Trek start short stories, as well as articles and books about the planet of the apes. And of particular interest for me this evening is the um, Hidden Universe Travel Guides to Vulcan, as well as the Hidden Universe Travel Guide to uh, Kronos and the Klingon Empire, because I'm putting this as part of the summer Star Trek travel extravaganza. I need a better title for that. Holiday uh, getaways and vacation destinations, real and imagined past, present, and future. Anyways, Mr. Dayton Ward. Dayton, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, please tell us about your background. Tell us, where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida, but uh, I was a military brat, so we moved around a lot when I was very young. Um, my dad was a, in Vietnam when I was a young – actually, he, <laughs> I got conceived between two tours in Vietnam, apparently, if we work out the math. And wow. uh, then when we got uh, – when he got back from there, we moved around several times in very few years. We were at uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Then we went to Honolulu, Hawaii. Then we were in New York when he was on recruiting duty. And then we ended up back in Tampa, which is where I stayed up. And, you know, we, I, we ended up staying there for good at that point. Yeah. If I do the math, I can tell you that I was conceived on my parents' 10th wedding anniversary. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. So uh, did you have a big family or, I mean, were you an only child? or? No, I have one sister. She's the three years younger than me. I see. And, well, what kind of hobbies did you have as a kid? I mean, were you always a nerd or were there other things going on? I was like a cross between a nerd and a wannabe athlete. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked to play sports. I just wasn't very good at them. Uh, you know, I was your average kid i like to play basketball i like to throw the baseball and the football around but i didn't have the skills to try to play on an actual school team or anything like that um but yeah i was a nerd i mean i you know we had uh star trek reruns and star wars was a big thing when i was a young kid and uh comic books and whatever else was on tv and we went to the movies and we played in the video game arcades because i came of age during the era of the video game arcade yeah, yeah, we're about the same age. Um, and I know uh, from your Facebook posting that you're a big fan of the Six Million Dollar Man as well. Oh yeah, that was a big that was a big thing. He was on. Yeah, I watched it from the almost from the beginning uh, when it was on originally. So I grew up running in slow motion around the neighborhood. Yeah, and my name's Steve Atwell, and he's Steve Austin. Of course, I had to be a fan. 
So, I understand that you were also a Marine after you graduated high school. You joined the Marine Corps. Where were you stationed, or where did you do basic and all that? Uh, I joined right after high school, like you said. Uh, the, I spent the summer at home and then went in that fall, and I went to Paris Island, South Carolina for boot camp. Oh, of course. East and Coast. Then, uh, oh, of course. And then um, anybody, everybody east of the Mississippi goes to Paris Island. That's right. Um, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, California for two years and change, and then I was on Okinawa for a year, and then they moved me to Albany, Georgia for a little over three years, and uh, then I ended up in Kansas City. This ain't Kansas City. Uh, for my remaining three years, yeah. uh, at which point I decided to hang it up and you know, uh, become a civilian again. Were you at the Marine Finance Center down on uh, uh, 95th Street? Yeah, I was in that big building on uh, Bannister Road slash 95th Street. Um, the Marine Corps Finance Center and the pay and personnel and their, all that, all those records are kept there. Yeah. Um, so I was part of that group. I, uh, I was actually the project lead at the time for uh, retired payment from, you know, payment for retired Marines and um, savings bond allotments and other deductions from their pay. I oversaw those subsystems. Well, how yeah, you, really exciting. Really exciting. How are you holding up health-wise? Because I know that that whole uh, federal complex was built on top of a toxic waste dump. <laughs> so far, no lesions and no extra eyes have sprouted. So. I'm uh, I know cancer, so I guess I got out of there okay. Okay, good, because I worked uh, I worked there for ten years with the uh, um, uh, uh, treasury department. <clears throat> Let's not mention the um, I word. <laughs> okay, so of course I'm presuming that the original Star Trek was the first Trek that you ever uh, watched or exposed to. Yeah, uh, I was a you know I was a rerun kid after school. You know, five o'clock every afternoon on the local station. Yeah. Uh, and then I did watch the animated show when it was broadcast on Saturday mornings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I didn't even know it was a color show. I didn't even know the original show was a color show until I got a color TV. Because <laughs> I, 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 we didn't watch the – I didn't get to watch Star Trek reruns on the big TV downstairs. I had to watch it on the little black and white one in my room. Ah. Uh, so I didn't even know it was a color show at first. Well, did you watch so, it? So you watched it by yourself, or did you watch it with family? No, my parents never liked it. They never understood. They still, did, you know, to the to the day they died, they did no idea why I liked that show so much. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Both my parents were Trekkies, and yeah, I never understood my like of science fiction and comic books and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but what about your sister? Is she a nerd, or is she pretty straight? She's a nerd in her own way. I mean, you know, we're all nerds about something. Yeah. You know, you're either you're a sports nerd or you're a movie nerd or you know, they're uh, she's a nerd in a good way though. I mean, she's uh, her, she and her family are are Disney nerds. They love everything and all things Disney. Right. Uh, and of course, they live down in Florida where you're in Disney mecca. And, uh, but she's also kind of a nerd for Stephen King. Uh, she pretty much reads everything that guy writes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I mean, we've all got our and Walking Dead. She's a huge Walking Dead fan. Well, uh, so did you want to be a writer yourself when you were a kid? I think I played around with it when I was a kid, but I didn't grow up with the idea that I would be a writer. That wasn't something that you, that most people, at least the people I hung out with, that wasn't something anybody grew up thinking, when I grow up, I'm going to be a writer. You know, we all wanted to be something else, like an astronaut or a cop or a doctor or something. Um, so writing was not something I did very seriously when I was a kid, but when I was a younger adult, I started I picked it up sort of as a creative outlet, just yeah. something to do to it, you know, just to kind of uh, scratch the creative itch. And yeah. then, 
uh, that's just kind of went from there. Yeah. Well, you pursued it, and you've done pretty well for yourself. I can tell you that. I do okay. I mean, they uh, they keep calling me, so I must be doing something right. Yeah, yeah. What else was going to ask? I was going to ask you about going back for a second because I, I'll bounce around a bit. In the Marine Corps. It's weird. I know so many guys who served, you know, about our age who served at the same time, but they don't seem to have known each other. It <laughs> just gives us civilians an idea that it really is a pretty massive corps out there. Well, it's it depends on what job you had too you know like if you're you know living here in kansas city most of the people who are of my age that are former marines or retired marines you know they they're probably in a very similar uh job field so data systems information tech yeah so um and you know it, it, in fact it was a running joke that you know kansas city was where marine corps IT people came to die. <laughs> we all got, we all seemed to get out here because at the time the job market was booming, yeah. and you you could land with one of the major firms around town easily. So. Well, one of my friends went in and um, his specialty was computers and stuff, so he went to the Gulf, uh, the first Gulf Desert Storm, but because he was computers, he was at the headquarters behind the lines and never saw any actual action. Right. It's like a guy from Kansas City going in with you instead of. Right. You know. Was he was he here? Was he was he stationed here? No. Or was it? Oh, okay. No, he he's from KC. Oh, he's from KC, but didn't get stationed here. Well, that's ironic. <laughs> right. I mean, cause, I mean, this is a major. It's kind of like being an airport hub. If you're in if you're in IT and you're a Marine, the chances of you getting here are very high, because yeah. this is our major. This is probably one of our major IT centers, or at least it was back in my day. Um, maybe not so much the case today, but I mean, you know, 20 years ago, this was, this is where it was happening as far as uh, here in Quantico, Virginia, were the major IT centers. Yeah. So, yeah, my friend Brian, he, he, he went from here, did the computer stuff and was stationed at Gulf War. And he said that because there was no action behind the scenes, it was like they were so bored, they would do anything to keep themselves entertained. So they managed to hook up with the Royal Scots Marines. And he became one of the first Americans to train to be a Royal Scots Marine just out of sheer boredom. And got a medal for that. And then got in touch with Congressman at the time, uh, or was it Senator Wheat, and convinced him to write him a letter so he could go to the uh, CIA. Oh, how about that? Yeah, so he switched and went into that and... No, I was uh, I was my intention was you know I would I, when I went in my intention was to do an enlistment so four years yeah and collect my money for my GI bill and then get out and go to college yeah with an eye toward learning about computers I mean right. that's I mean I went in with a computer op, you know job description and learned about computers that way and then thinking I would follow it up with a degree you know later on down the road and I just ended up re-enlisting because I was I was single and mm -hmm. I was young and I was having fun so you know it was a different it's a, it was a different world than it is today I mean if, if I was the same guy but it was in today's atmosphere you know things would be different they, you know my career track would probably have taken a different uh, different few turns you know yeah so you didn't see any of the action though of no I didn't go I mean it was I mean desert storm was over in about 10 minutes you know so right, right. I mean I was I helped with the I helped with the ramp up you know when it was desert shield yeah uh, I was stationed in Albany at the time and you know we were there and and Albany is a major supply depot for the Marine Corps it's 
the East Coast. It takes care of the East Coast side of things. And that's where all a lot of the material was being shipped across to Saudi Arabia, where it was being staged all through the fall of what, what 1990s. So yeah. we were helping prep gear. We were helping uh, train reservists who had been called to active duty to get their certifications up to date, like you know rifle qualification and all the other skill sets that they had to be certified on annually or a biannual basis. We were running them through their paces doing that stuff to get them ready to go over. And uh, so all that work, and then you know the whole thing is over in about an hour and a half. <laughs> and so yeah. yeah, I'll tell you, my younger brother, who's also named Brian, um, he well, both he and my older brother Rich, who was in the Navy, had put on weight, and whereas Rich had worked night and day to bust his chomps to lose the weight so he could stay in, Brian said, "I don't care," and so <laughs> they were going to give him a. a, a discharge because he was out of shape and then Desert Storm or Desert Shield started up and suddenly everything was put on hold and he wasn't sure what he was going to do and then 24 hours before his entire sh- unit shipped over he got sent home finally wow. so yeah, yeah I mean I, we, we had every intention of being sent I mean I asked to go over I, I didn't I didn't I didn't you know, ask for those kind of things you volunteer to go over you know it's like hey I'm a sergeant I've got these skill sets I'm training this that and the other and this is what you need and you know my CEO was like, well, no, we need you here. You know, you're kind of you're kind of irritated about it because you're thinking to yourself, well, this is what I signed up for. This is what we've been training for for the last you know six years. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little, it's a different, it's a different uh, world today. It's a different environment today. Yeah. Um, I, I when I think about the the the, the guys and the, and the the men and women who are serving today and all they've known is deployment after deployment, it's just staggering to think about yeah i understand i know what you mean yeah one of my friends she joined just so she could go and then they stuck her in rome and she was like rome what am i doing in rome There's no right yeah in rome. exactly i mean when i joined it was peacetime and you know it was it was always peacetime i mean there were a few things here a little small minor dust-ups here and there but i mean there was no major ongoing you know thing like we have we've had for years now at this yeah. point it was just it's a different it's a different military and not, it's not better or worse it's just it's it's a product of what it's been required to do all these years so my hat is off to those men and women oh yeah mine too like i said i come from a military family all my brothers served i was 4f i couldn't pass the physical so i didn't but that's another matter yeah well you know it's, yeah. it happens i know so um you get out of the marines you decide you're going to stay in kansas city and um, at what point did you think you'd give writing a, a go? I had started writing while I was still in the Corps. Uh, it was like I said, it was a creative outlet. I was just doing it for the goof of it. I wasn't trying to get published. I wasn't sending anything to editors or publishers or magazines or anything like that. Um, I was just doing it for my own goofing around. And then I discovered, you know, fan fanzines and fan fiction and that kind of thing. So I started playing around with those types of stories. And then Pocket Books, who was publishing Star Trek novels, uh, and, and I should say I was a voracious reader of Star Trek novels. I still am, but sure. back then it was purely for the fun of it. Sure. Um, but Pocket Books was publishing these things and had been for almost 17 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they announced the first ever uh, short story fiction writing contest for Star Trek that, mm-hmm. that they were going to sponsor. I mean, there there had been other similar efforts before but this was pocket's first try at it 
And so I got talked into submitting a Star Trek story to this contest by a friend of mine. You know, she dared, she basically dared me. Yeah. Um, and so I did. I, you know, I took a story and I sent it in, and lo and behold, they bought it. Uh, and then I did it again the next couple of years, and lo and behold, they bought those. And then they offered me a, a contract to write a Star Trek novel for them. Yeah, I saw in the research that the idea of selling one three years in a row and getting the contract is now called being um, being awarded a wardy in your honor. <laughs> yeah, somebody came up with that name. Uh, it was a friend of mine who did that. It was his idea to, to come up with that uh, that award name. Um, yeah, it was you know. But even when I was writing for those contests, I I had no aspirations that I would ever write Star Trek novels and certainly not on a regular basis right. you know uh, it was just not something that I thought I was talented or skilled enough to do those were what other real writers did right. um, so it's been quite an interesting ride but what do you think you're just going to do IT for the rest of your life then well I was content at one point in life to be an IT person because I really used to enjoy doing that uh, I was a developer and I used to love creating software uh, but it became less about creating software and more about surviving layoffs yeah, <laughs> so I, I lost I, my love for that yeah I get you I get you and now at this point in the show I should like to pause for a word from my sponsors unfortunately we don't have any sponsors however, I am going to play instead commercial from the past of something having to do with Star Trek. Of course, at some point in the future, I should like to have proper sponsorship because with sponsorship, I'll be able to afford upgraded recording equipment as well as travel expenses to get to more conventions so I can meet more celebrities that could be uh, guests on the show. Anyway, here's a commercial from the past. Someone just asked me why I wasn't flying the plane. <laughs> and you said, I'm not the captain. <laughs> anyway, we're on vacation. Can't they tell we're on vacation? Well, why does that look familiar? Because we've been there. I like it better here. <laughs> Frequent flyers like the future on Western Airlines. It's the only way to fly. Only. What a novel concept. Well, so since I am focusing right now on uh, Star Trek and travel, because it's the summer, and think about getting away, um, I know uh, Kevin went to the Star Trek experience in Vegas because he wrote an article about the opening. Did mm -hmm. you ever get out to see that yourself? Oh, yeah. We were we, uh, I, I went many times. Uh, we went out that first year that it opened, not yeah. very long after Kevin uh, had gone. In fact, I didn't even know Kevin at that point. Right. Um, we went for the fun of it, and then we went – every time we go to Vegas between – over that 10 or 11-year period, we would always make time to go to the experience. Yeah. Uh, and then the last summer that they were open, which was 2008, Yeah. Uh, we had a book – Kevin and I were able to uh, get a book signing there. Uh, they we, we asked if they would be interested in hosting a book signing, and they were eager to have us out. So we showed up and we signed books and they gave us a tour behind the scenes and showed us how everything worked and wow. uh, it was really fun. And then uh, we had we had a nice long line of people waiting for us to sign their books. It was a lot of fun. That sounds like it. it sounds like it. I did I did get to go out 
the year they opened, um, I think it was Memorial Day weekend, my brother Brian and I um, went out just to go to the Star Trek experience. And, yeah, it was really something. And then when they added the, the Borg, mm-hmm. I wanted to go, but never came up with the cash again to make it. Oh, that's a shame. It was a lot of fun. I, You know, it's I am still friends with people who were either uh, staff members, either cat, you know, support crew or costume performers or actors working at the experience. To this day, I still have several friends who were part of that. Oh, cool. And they're all – just fat, fantastic people. I mean, and it was just a fun place to go. If you're a Star Trek fan, that was that was the place to go. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's you know, hopefully we'll get something like that, or even something more grander than that, uh, at some point in the future. You know, like Star Wars Land, they've got at Disney. Somebody somewhere one day will have Star Trek Land. Hopefully, 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 yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, um, and I know you've been to the. Uh series the original series set tours in Ticonderoga <laughs> yeah that's another that's another place that every you know old school or just avid fan should go check out for themselves right it is amazing if you're a fan of the original series uh, it is amazing the level of detail and effort that went into recreating uh, those sets it's it's just when you walk in it's completely immersive hopefully in the next few years I'll be able to afford that and of course, you've been to the Vegas convention a few times. Oh yeah, I, I get out there every so often. Yep. Yeah, 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 and on and on. <laughs> it, it bothers me that there has not been a Star Trek convention in Kansas City for twenty years. It's been a while, hasn't it, since we've had a Trek convention? There used to be a guy that did them, um, uh, the Slanted Fedora group, and uh, has it been that long since we had a true Trek convention here? Yeah, I'm told the last time was '99. Is that right? Man, yeah. time flies, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, Planet Comic Con and Kansas City Comic Con do a pretty good job of, of representing Trek when they have their shows. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, those guys always pull out the stops uh, to try to, but but those are multimedia and multi-franchise cons, so everybody's got to try to get a little bit of the action, and, and it's you know it's basically what's what's hot in and around that time frame. So you know, Walking Dead is big. You're gonna get Walking Dead stars. Um, that's what draws people, but I mean, they've done a pretty good job of bringing in some high-profile Star Trek guests. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully I'll be able to start interviewing them for my program here. <clears throat> be awesome. I'd love to see a true Trek convention. I don't need to see a creation one, but you know, if if somebody wanted to take on the the task of a fan-run convention, right? That that'd be something to see. Yeah, reminds me. I read it. Or I excuse, I saw an interview with Harv Bennett. And he was asked about the conventions, and he said he went to three. He enjoyed the first two, but not the third, because somehow it become like a boat show instead of being intimate with the fans. Yeah, there, there's there, I, there are two different types of conventions. I mean, and I'm I'm speaking in generalities here. Yeah. Generally speaking, there are two types of conventions. There's the there's the fan run, fan focused convention where the stars are a big part of it. But you have you get time to talk with them, you get time to pose for photos, you get time for you know candid moments. They hang out in the bar afterwards. Uh, there's those shows, and then there's the bigger, I call them you know cattle call shows because it just seems like every minute is designed to separate a fan from their money. Right. And so it's autograph lines and photo ops and meet and greets and and after 
hours dinner fests and all these things that cost extra money and the average fan just can't afford all that stuff um, I, I mean I understand that they got to make money and you know I get it I, I, I'm not begrudging that but it just seems like it's become this this big overblown overproduced circus you know yeah. and I don't know that the stars necessarily enjoy themselves at those shows right uh, I do know they enjoy themselves at the other types of shows because I go to a few of them every year and I see a lot of the faces over time and same faces and they are always enjoying themselves and you can tell they're really enjoying themselves and it's not an act I mean you know they come out of their room they, they come out of their rooms and they hang out in the restaurant or the bar or they you know after hours or they're on Saturday night dancing at the at the costume ball dance that they might have at the convention or you know, just watching the game on the big screen TV in the bar or something. Um, you don't see that at the big, big shows. Yeah. Someday I'd like to also try the cruise, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I don't know what that'd be like, man. That's a, a convention on, on water that you can't get away from. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it sounds like awesome fun, but on the other hand, I'm like, well, what if it doesn't work out so well? Then what do I do? Yeah. So you've met a lot of the stars, and I, you know, I, because I remember recently. You'd posted um, that Mary Chifo, uh, who plays Latrell on uh, Star Trek Discovery, was all excited to meet you and get an autograph. That was a surreal moment for me because, uh, yeah, I run into, I run into the, the actors from the shows, but it's not like I have ongoing friendships or relationships with any of them. You know, we yeah. we might we might meet for a minute in a green room somewhere, or we pass in the hallway, or we're, we're at the same event for a, a short period of time, but it's uh, by no means am I friends with these people. And, and, uh, and I, you know, in other words, their, 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 their time is usually in, in much greater demand than mine is at these shows. Yeah. They're, they're, they're scheduled down to the microsecond. And, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll get a chance to say, hi, I'm a fan of your work. And, and then they got to move on because they've got someplace to be or somebody to meet with. But, uh, Mary Chifo surprised me at, at this convention in Denver a few months ago where she, I guess took a picture of herself on the plane uh-huh. on her way to Denver, and she was holding a copy of my book, and said she was excited to to meet me at the show. Which for me, that's a first. Nobody, no other actor from any of the shows has ever expressed a desire to meet me. <laughs> so that book being the uh, Hidden Universe Travel Guide to Kronos and the Klingon Empire. Yeah, apparently she was doing homework for, yeah. for her role. Yeah, and I have a copy here, and as well as on. Um, the Kindle version, and uh, okay. hopefully I'll get with you to get an autograph myself. We will work something out. Yeah. We can, I'm sure we can figure it out. Yeah. But so you are a, uh, a Kansas City transplant in two. That does not yeah. sound right. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm a, tra- I'm a transplant, yep. Yeah. And you've been here for, what, 20 years or so? Uh, I came here in 93, New Year's Day, 93. So 25 uh, years. And a big Star Trek fan, yet as far as I can tell, you're not a member of any of the local fan clubs. I don't do fan clubs in general. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't. It's not. A, it's not a personal. It's. It's. It's not a. A dissing of those groups. I'm just not a big club person. I guess. Right. Um, I and I've I've done stuff with some of those groups on yeah. occasion. We've showed up for an autograph signing or. Uh, or we've done something they invited us to, but um, and I'm certainly open to that idea. Yeah, I mean that that's always that's always yeah. on the table if a local group wants to do something, particularly if it's for a cause, you know, like a charity or a fundraiser for a good cause. And yeah, we're totally on board with something like that. I would just say, um, as someone who is recently started running a chapter of a fan club, you'd be welcome to join at any time. 
Well, I appreciate the offer. Thank you. <laughs> um, sorry. Couldn't help myself. Okay. Which was going to lead me to something, but I can't remember. What? Oh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, you also wrote a couple <laughs> books about the Planet of the Apes. Um, I didn't write books per se. I did contribute to books, though. That were books. Written about them. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote a couple of essays for you know a collection of essays about Planet of the Apes, and then I wrote a short story for a collection of short stories that came out, what, a year or two ago. I'm a, yeah, I'm a big Planet of the Apes fan. Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, and Six Million Dollar Man. Those were my jam back in the 70s, and they, they still are today. Yeah, I can tell you, as I mentioned on this podcast before, in the early 70s when I was really young, Star Trek, Batman, and um, <laughs> James Bond were it. There you go. But then, yeah, Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run, uh, Six Million Dollar Man, Wonder Woman, you know, pretty much everything. And then something called Star Wars came along. Yeah, Star Wars came along and sort of flipped the table on everybody. But um, no, I mean, when I was a kid, that was the thing. That was uh, that was my. They tell it. Somebody says that whatever it is you're a big fan of when you're t- ten or twelve, that's what's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. That's the golden age of your fandom, and uh, I, I think that probably, at least with me, that's fairly consistent. Yeah. Uh, you know, seventy so seventy nine. So I was a fan of Star Wars and Star Trek and Buck Rogers and Alien and. Uh, six million dollar man and whatever else you want to name of from the late seventies. I was probably a fan. Galactica, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And looking over at my shelves, I see all the DVDs and Blu-rays that represent all of that still visible. So yeah, I'm oh, fine. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> Which I've got two bookcases of Star Trek books. I've got a bookshelf or a, a case of DVDs of. Well, anyway, I've got it all too. My brain is flipping on me. Oh. I read a couple of years ago you wrote an article about your experience of going to see Star Trek V. Why did you feel compelled to write that article? I don't know that I wrote a, an essay about it. I wrote a short story about guys who went to go see Star Trek V. Mm. It was basically a um, – there's a play that was written by actor Joe Montaigne and mm-hmm. several other – actors that he used to hang around with they were like a little acting troupe that they did and they wrote a play called bleacher bombs which is, takes place in the stands of a baseball game mm-hmm. and it's basically just their conversations overlapping one another and talking about baseball and other topics and it's very funny um and they performed this thing in fact i think they performed it at one of the slanted fedora shows mm-hmm. not not these actors but actors who were involved in that production at some point in time that were also Star Trek actors did a performance of that one night. So that's how I learned about Bleacher Bums, and I took the concept and just basically turned it into four guys sitting there waiting for Star Trek V to start talking about nerdy stuff. (laughs) And the idea was that it would be performed as a sketch at a convention. That that was my original plan, as I would write this and we would perform it on stage. Uh, I never actually participated in any such production, but it was read as an audio play by some friends of mine, uh, as some fellow Star Trek authors, they did it one one year, I think a couple of years ago for the 50th anniversary. They were goofing around, but uh, that was my original plan. But why Trek Five? I just thought it was funny. It was a, it was you know 1989 was a was a, a year that was an epic summer for movies. Yeah. Um, you know it was the year of Batman. Yeah. In particular, that was probably the dominating movie. But also, there were several good sequels. I mean, there was an Indiana Jones sequel. There was a Lethal Weapon sequel, a Ghostbusters. 
And then in the midst of all of that, Star Trek V gets dropped in the middle of it and gets hammered. Yeah. You know, and I just, for some reason, that's what appealed to me when I was trying to write this story about these four guys who go to the movies. Well, I can tell you my experience of going to see Star Trek V when it debuted. And hopefully somebody listening will find it of interest, if not amusement. A friend of mine and his girlfriend, I was visiting at their place. And he was uh, working, he, he, doing, he was a computer guy, and he was busy working on a project for work. And she's like, I want to go see the movie, I want to go see the movie. And he says, no, I'm too busy, why don't you go with Steve, I'm sure he'd enjoy it. And she said, okay, fine. But she was like, it's Star Trek, so we have to rush, we have to get there early because it's Star Trek. So let's go. <laughs> so we rush, 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 and we're the only people standing there, you know. And right. we're like half an hour or whatever before it starts. And suddenly a whole, you know, crowd slowly begins forming. And so she says, okay, yeah, see, there's a crowd. I told you we'd have to get here early. And then they announced now playing the, now, we're now seating for the new Hulk Hogan movie. The whole <laughs> crowd goes in. Except for us two and one guy wearing Spock ears on the other side of the room. <laughs> Star Trek V is the only Star Trek movie to date that I have not seen on opening day or night. Uh, and the reason being is because I was stationed in Okinawa that summer. I was That was the end of my tour and I was coming home. So I read the novelization for the film before I saw the movie, which is – that was not uncommon back in those days because in those days the novelizations came out well before the movie did. Right. Uh, so I had read the book and I was all pumped, you know, for for the new Star Trek film um, because the last one, Star Trek Four, you know, I stood out in line and waited for what an hour and a half for the doors to open to go see that one on opening night. And then, so I got home and it had already been out close to a month by the time I got home mm-hmm. from Okinawa. And of course, Batman Fever was everywhere. Right. Everybody was eating up Batman, and I had seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade at a Japanese theater mm-hmm. <laughs> on Okinawa. You know, it was English with Japanese subtitles. Um, so I was all pumped to go see Star Trek V, and that was what my girlfriend, she's my wife now, but at the time she was my girlfriend. We, you know, first day back, or first night back, our first date, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to go see Star Trek. Of course. And she'd already seen it, and she didn't tell me, she didn't have the heart to tell me that, it, that she hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the movie theater. Of course, like I said, it's been out a month at this point. But this is back in the day where you know movies could run all summer. Yeah. You know, uh, and I got in there and we sat down and we were probably one of half a dozen people in the theater. Wow. And three of those people left before the movie was over. <laughs> um, but we sat through it because I was a diehard Star Trek fan. Right. And uh, but I was thinking to myself, what happened? Because the novelization was pretty good. <laughs> I actually read it on the flight home. Yeah. And so I was all pumped for Star Trek V, and wah, wah, didn't work out quite so well. Man, I'm sorry, mate. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, that's my Star Trek V story. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about your travel guide that you wrote for the Hidden. How did you get tapped? Yeah. How did you get tapped to write those two books? I was approached by uh, editor Chris Prince, who works for Insight Editions. Mm-hmm the publisher, and he came to me because I had been recommended to him by John Van Sitters, who is the, uh, he oversees CBS consumer products, specifically mm-hmm. Star Trek consumer products. I mean, he, he basically, if it's, if it's, if it's somebody who wants to put a Star Trek label on a product, it goes through his office. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he has been overseeing, among other things, all the novels and the comics and the other tie-in stuff forever. I mean, almost dating back to the same year that I did the first Star Trek short story contest. And so over the years, we've established a rapport and a, and a friendship, and uh, he recommended me to this guy who was looking to do this. And lo and behold, you know, uh, I, they asked me if I was interested, and I said, yeah, that sounds like fun. I'd never written anything like a travel guide before, uh, and they really didn't know what they wanted me to do. So we, you know, Chris, my editor Chris and I, we worked out a plan, and I went to work on an outline, and I bought a couple of real actual travel guides from the bookstore to use as a, you know, just for structure and tone and uh, what to break down into different categories and that kind of thing. But, you know, my, my travel guide is much smaller and thinner than an actual travel guide is. Those things are huge. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And then I guess the Vulcan book did so well, they wanted a Klingon book. Did you um, happen to listen to the Klingon audiobooks that Mark Okrand co-wrote? No, I didn't. Because he uh, deals with travel in there. Yeah. And he wrote uh, Klingon for the Galactic Traveler. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, his, his bona fides need no uh, introduction. He's, he's, he is the man as far as the Klingon language is concerned. No, um, uh, no I did not get to, get to listen to any of that stuff. Um, but, I mean, I, the, the trick with these travel guys is you're writing them. The conceit is you want to write them not as though a native of the planet necessarily wrote them. You want to write them like you're the group that writes travel guides, you know, right. like the publisher who writes travel guides. And so what those people do, and I learned this because I made some phone calls and I asked around, I mean, how do these things get put together? Um, what they do is they send people to these locations, you know, not so, you know, not so much like they used to do, but they, they do send people to scout around for the latest places because they update these things you know, on a regular basis. You, they, you write one and you don't necessarily write another one from scratch again. You just update what you have. And, you know, they send these people out to scout around and see what's the latest things, what's what's new and interesting, and then they, 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 they put all this into a book and they boil it all down. So that's my conceit is that, you know, this travel guide publisher sent a team to Vulcan to do the research for us to write the book. And then same thing with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Well, because the um, – I was just going to say that Okran it, – it, it works as a great companion piece for what he wrote. Or, and had as the script for the audiobook, so it's really great to have those. That's really that's a good idea. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun writing them, and I did get some help with the trans with some of the with some of the language issues um, to make sure it was accurate. Um, there were some issues early on where we were using uh, incorrect translations, and we got it straightened out. Right. Um, and the, the Klingon Language Institute, some folks from, from that stepped up and helped me with that, you know, for which I am forever grateful. Um, and that's a fun thing, too, is because, you know, I get I get to involve some of the more dedicated Star Trek fans to do something to help out with something like this. It makes it a lot more fun. And do you have a copy of the Star of the Federation um, passport that uh, was written by J.M. Dillard back 20 years ago? I probably do somewhere. I know I bought it for sure. Or it was, or it was sent to me. I don't remember if I bought it or if it was sent to me because there was a time when I was on the list and I got everything Pocket Books published for sure. Star Trek. Um, I don't do that anymore, but um, I'm sure I had it. It was either J.M. Dillard or Mike Friedman. I don't know who wrote it. There was a Federation passport, and mm-hmm. then there was 
a Federation travel guide, a small one, like a little pocket-sized guide. That may have been the one Friedman wrote, Mike Friedman wrote. Okay. I don't well, have that. I will have to look for that myself. But you're right. There was an actual Federation passport. Yeah. Like a little brown cover thing? Yeah, I have yeah. it. I know I have it. If I go over there and look, I'll find it. <laughs> so, folks listening in, um, if you plan to do any travel this year within the Federation or the Klingon Empire, for goodness sakes, be sure to pick up these publications. And your passport. Don't forget your Federation Don't passport. Don't forget the passport. In the Vulcan book, in the chapter on Shikar... Shik... Uh, <laughs> Sh- Shikar City... Take me back to Shikara City. Um, you have in here, don't miss Shikara Oki. <laughs> oh, Shikariyoki, yeah. Shikariyoki. And you mentioned that Tapril uh, just might join you in uh, one of the songs. Was that meant to be a reference to the character that April Heber had played? At yes. The, uh, last year? <laughs> that, that's her. That is her. That, I, that's one of the friends I mentioned from Star Trek experience the days gone by. She is uh, one of my very favorite <laughs> Star Trek fans, my very favorite people. She's one of my very favorite people within Star Trek fandom. Yeah. I hope to get her on this show as well one of these days. If oh, so. she's a blast. You'll love it if you get her. The, the, I didn't notice were there any references in there to Sobek, the other Vulcan from the experience. I don't think so, but I don't remember anymore. I don't remember. It's, it's hard. Some, sometimes those little details get lost in the shuffle after a period of time. I, but I'm going to say no. I don't yeah. think so. The only uh, character I remember meeting at the experience was the late um, Dahar Master Motok. Yeah, was, yeah. So it's a bit disappointing that he's no longer with us. Yeah. So what are you working on now? I am working on several things. Um, I really can't talk too much about them because they haven't been formally announced right um but i have the, the one that the most recent thing that i had that was announced was i'm writing a, another book for inside editions that'll be out in january and it is basically an introductory guide to kirk foo <laughs> all of captain kirk's march you know famous fighting moves <clears throat> yeah so uh you you can you can in theory take this guide and teach yourself all those crazy moves that you know you have to sign a waiver and and and, and all that but um, but yeah, that's, you know, I, I pitched the idea kind of as a joke, half joke, half, like this would really be funny if somebody wanted to do this and, um, they love the idea. So I, I did that over the uh, holiday time frame, the winter time frame. I actually wrote the manuscript for that and then, uh, did some edits on it about a month or so ago. Okay. That's a hypothetical then purely hypothetically with, um, discovery season two in the works and coming out, uh, Hopefully not too long, but probably next year. Hypothetically, can one uh, is it possible that someone who wrote a tie-in book for the first season, who lives in the Kansas City area, might be working on a tie-in for the second season of Discovery? Uh, if not me, no. <laughs> as far as I know, no. There's uh, there is no. At this point, so far as I know, there are no Star Trek Discovery novels being written beyond the three that have already been written. That's not to say there aren't going to be any. That just means, as I understand it, none have been announced. And you're not involved? Not yet. I'm not saying I wouldn't if they asked. Right. Uh, I would totally be interested if they asked because I enjoy the show. Right. I mean, I, I, mean, I know I sound biased because I wrote a book for the first season, but um, I, I got to watch them put that show together pretty much from the ground up. 
uh, from a very good seat. You know, like think of yourself as sitting courtside at a at a basketball game. That's pretty much the vantage point I had throughout, and uh, so I got to watch them put it together and watched how much effort they put into it. And I don't care what the detractors say or the haters say; those people loved what they were doing, yeah. and they and they worked very hard. It's gonna it's obviously different. It's not the same Star Trek we grew up with. But then again, you know, if I want to watch the Star Trek I grew up with, I can go get the DVD off the shelf. I, you know, uh, I'm okay with that. But yeah, if they asked me to, if they asked me if I wanted to do another Discovery book, I'd leap at that opportunity. I watched it. I enjoyed it, and I uh, I know there was some controversy. Some oh sure. Oh, I can't remember what I'm looking for. People trying to say rivalry between Discovery and the Orville, and he has to be in one camp or the other. I know, but I enjoyed the Orville too. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there are. It was a fun show overall. I didn't like it. I did. I had to warm up to it. There, you know, the first episode, it did make me laugh a couple times, and and I and I enjoyed the overall idea, but I had to kind of warm up into it. And then as it got as it progressed, it got better as it as the season progressed. And there are three or four episodes in there that are just bang on Star Trek stories. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so uh, you know wh- when the humor works, it works really well. But I'm I, I admitted up front that I'm not the biggest Seth MacFarlane fan so far as his humor is concerned. Um, but I know he's an unabashed Star Trek fan. Yeah, and, and so I you know this was basically a love letter to Star Trek. You know, people say it's Star it's it's not a Star Trek show, but it's a damn good love letter to it. Yeah, you know, that's, that's my thinking on it. And so I'm. I'll be there for season two. Yeah. So. Like I said, I I like both. I watched both. I like both. I did. I was. They're a fan. two different kinds of shows. So. I was a fan of both DS9 and Voyager, DS9 yeah. and Babylon Five, hmm. the original Trek, the Next Generation, Star Trek, Star Wars. Of course, I like. You know, I liked Battlestar Galactica the reboot when it was on TV, but I also liked Eureka and Warehouse 13, which mm-hmm. are completely different shows. So. Yeah, of course, Doctor Who beats them all, but that's beside the point. <laughs> And I like Doctor Who too. So, you know, I, 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 and I don't know how you got into it, but I, I watched, you know, PBS ran Doctor Who serials when I was a kid. So I learned, I came on board about the time Tom Baker was the Doctor. Yeah. And right about the time, just about the time he turned it over to Peter Davison, and but then they started rerunning the older ones, so I got to see John Pertwee, and he and Tom Baker are my favorites. Yeah. Um, but I, when they rebooted it. I loved Christopher Eccleston's season, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I I watched it sporadically through the next couple of Doctors, and I really enjoyed Capaldi's run, and I'm looking forward to checking out Jodie Whittaker's run. So yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm sort of re 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 re-entering the Doctor Who fandom. It's been a you know I, I it was never really gone, but I wasn't as devoted to it as I was other stuff, and I'm rediscovering it. Right, I'll tell you, I believe not. My gateway into Doctor Who was an issue of Marvel Comics. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember those. <laughs> and um, it was yeah. Baker, and um, I'm yeah. like, and then when I saw an announcement that they were going to be showing the program on the PBS affiliate Friday nights, I said, I wonder, it's got it's got a comic book connection, so I'll be there. And uh, the first episode they watched, that they aired, that I got to see was the first episode of Tom Baker, and I was hooked from the go. You. And Kevin and I course. just went to go see Genesis of the Daleks at uh, uh, or Genesis of the Daleks. It was it was a theatrical. Yeah. It was they were showing it at the, one of the local theaters, so Key and I went out and watched it. Yeah, that's so cool. 
All right, let's see. What else do I have uh, to ask you about? How are you spending the summer, then? Uh, working, and uh, my kids are out of school, so, of course, there's all kinds of kids' summer activity stuff going on. You know, um, they're, they're in the swim meets, and they've got uh, summer camps, and uh, there's sleepovers every other night. And right. uh, I'm also, I've got a convention coming up uh, next weekend where I'll be flying to Baltimore. It's for shore leave, the one I do every year out there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then uh, I don't know if I'm going to do any other conventions. Uh, I might do a local show here. We, we're, we're, we're talking with one of the local uh, Comic-Con folks who does small one-day shows here. Uh. Uh, and then one or two-day shows here. We might we might do – what's the one uh, – I always I always miss – is it like Capital City Comic-Con or something that's out in Topeka? Um, Air City. Air Capital. Maybe, uh, Air, Air Capital? Air Capital like is in Wichita. Okay, then I t- sorry about that. I didn't. I just totally screwed that up. I it was, it, but it, it, last year it was the same weekend as Kansas City's Comic Con, right? And they invited us to be guests there this year. And Kevin and I are trying to figure out if we can make that work. Yeah, that's part of what killed KC, K, KCCC for this year. That was happening the same weekend, and most of the cosplayers I know were going to that instead. Now there was oh, a, there's also a sci- the sci-fi. Um, Adults only relaxicon that same weekend, and so I I, I was there, so I didn't get to go. Oh, that was last year. Yeah, I know there was some conflict last year, and we did Kansas City Comic Con last year, yeah. and uh, we our our plans to do Planet this past spring completely got imploded um, through yeah. for, through no fault of the con. Um, those guys did everything they could to help us out, but it just didn't work out for us that year he got i got sick and he had a family thing so yeah that's i i i brought my um copy of the hidden universe guide yeah. to, to get it signed and keith i yeah i came out that sunday because i had a panel that i had committed to doing so i drugged myself up really good with anti you know whatever medicine and yeah uh tough through it for the afternoon so that i could you know i didn't want to leave uh jenny on the hook uh after right. she'd invited us to do the panel so, but yeah, I went home and collapsed after that. Yeah. I mean, I tried to stay around and sign some books, but I just didn't want to infect anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Planet's always good to us. They're always super supportive, and you know, they always want us to come out there and be at the show. So we come hell or high water, we will be there next year. Yeah, I did get my if books they'll, if they'll have us. <laughs> yeah. so. Keith the Canada was there, and he did sign all of my. Um, well, the Klingon books that he wrote that I brought, so uh, it wasn't a total loss. Well, that's good because you don't you can see me anytime. See, that's you know that's that's well, that's what I try to tell people. I'm like, I'm here local, man. We can we'll find a place to get together. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we can yeah. find my find, find me my local comic shop or something. Um, yeah. uh, I'm I'm easy to get a hold of. That's you know when people ask about doing interviews during the conventions, and I'm like, you're local, dude. I'm so am I. You can call me up anytime if you want. Okay. Get get the people that are not here but for the weekend i'm going to start winding things down ladies and gentlemen uh my guest again this evening has been mr dayton ford who hopefully will not put a restraining order out against me i wasn't pl- i wasn't planning to okay but before we go it's time for stevie's tough but not too tough star trek trivia challenge the special hometown edition there'll be a series of five questions if you get three of them correct, you will win a chance to impress your friends and embarrass your children. And if you get all five correct, there will be a sixth question for bonus double or nothing stakes. Are you ready? I suppose. 
Hometown questions. Hometown questions. Okay. Hometown Star Trek questions. Okay. In the Next Generation episode, one, according to the Next Generation episode, 11001001, what type of musical venue can be found in Kansas City? Uh, jazz. Jazz clubs, that's correct. Yeah. According to the Next Generation episode, The Neutral Zone, what type of cuisine can be found from Kansas City? Barbecue. No, the answer no? is a Kansas City strip steak. Oh, that's true. Yeah, okay. Elk, the, the revived country western star LQ Sonny Clemens requested one from the uh, computer aboard the Enterprise D. Okay. And then changed his mind and went for a martini instead. <laughs> According to the Next Generation episode, A Fistful of Datas, what type of libations might be found in Kansas City? Uh, bourbon? Whiskey? I don't know. I don't remember that one. Ooh. Klingon fire wine. Not in Kansas City. When no. Worf, okay. Worf goes into the holographic bar and asks for some, the holographic bartender, Miss Annie, says, This ain't Kansas City. We ain't got that fancy European stuff here. I was going to say, unless, they, Boulevard, unless Boulevard Brewery changes what it makes you know, in the next hundred years or so. And wouldn't you yeah. pay for that? <laughs> okay, question four then. Hopefully you get three of them right. Question four then. Which member of the Enterprise D's crew, uh, it's not so much hometown, but it's regional, which member of the Enterprise D's crew studied dance at a studio in St. Louis? Uh, Dr. Crusher. That's correct. Of course, in the episode, it wasn't specified which St. Louis, but Memory Alpha says Missouri, and so I'm sticking to that. There you go. And which one-time guest on the Enterprise D character lost their parents in a tornado in Topeka, Kansas? Oh, uh, Amanda Rogers. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that was a deep pull, man. Okay. Okay, for the sixth and final question, even though you didn't get five right, which local Kansas City suburb was referenced ever so briefly in a classic episode of the original series? A suburb of Kansas City? In the original show. Memory Alpha. I was shocked and fell out of my chair. I have no idea. Lee Summit, Missouri. No way. I live in Lee Summit. (laughs) Where was that referenced? In the city on the edge of forever. You might have heard of it. In this scene when Spock is looking at a newspaper uh, article about the death of Edith Keeler, there's a secondary story on the page with a dateline of Lee Summit. No kidding. I never knew that. (laughs) Is that? That is cool. Memory album. I I had no idea. How about that? Is it like one of the newspaper clippings that he looks at real for a second? Yep. I never I never caught that. That totally. is a deep that's a cool question right there. Totally blew my mind when I saw that. Now I gotta go look, see. Yeah, yeah. Well, folks, this has been an interview with Mr. Dayton Ward, who has projects fires in the um uh, I'm mixing metaphors. He's working on more stuff. <laughs> Presumably Star Trek stuff. Presumably with uh, Kevin, perhaps. Kevin and I aren't working on anything at the moment, but that doesn't mean we won't be. Okay. The last book you put out was the Discovery novel, correct? The last novel I had out was the Discovery novel. Yeah, it came out in February, uh, Drastic Measures. Uh, I'm getting set to work on a novel. In fact, I'm going to start next week um, for a novel that will be out early next year. Okay. Um, Drastic Measures is still available at bookstores online and down the street so that uh, hopefully there'll be Klingons involved in the next book you're working on 
Uh, can't say. Okay. What else do I have to say? I have to say thank you so much for being a guest and do some self-promotion. Where can people find you if they want to follow you? If you want to find me on the Internet, you can look at DaytonWard.com. That is the one-stop shopping for all of my social media shenanigans. So Facebook, Twitter, blog, Instagram, links to StarTrek.com and all that other stuff. If you want to find me, just go there, DaytonWard.com. And occasional blogs at StarTrek.com. Occasional blog. In fact, I'm working on one right now. Okay. And I want to also say thank you again to Dayton. Thank you to everybody tuning in. And thank you again to Adam Mullen, who performed the theme song for this program. Adam also has his own podcast that he co-hosts on the Trexphere Network called The Final Frontier, in which he discusses fan films productions. Dayton, you have no interest in Star Trek fan films, or do you? I I wouldn't say that. Uh, I am I'm constantly sorry. I'm constantly amazed and impressed by the level of effort that goes into some of these fan films. I'm sorry. I asked uh, if you had I, I I had once upon a time asked if you had any interest in writing one. Oh, writing one. Uh, you know, for reasons which should probably be obvious, because I write Star Trek. That's officially blessed by the studio. I'm probably not the best candidate for writing a fan film script. Right, right. Uh, there would be a conflict of interest there. Yeah, and I know that now. But uh, uh, you, ha- you have no problem with the whole concept and watching it? No, no, absolutely no. not. Um, I think it's, it's a, it, to me, it's a, it's a fun way to express your fandom. Um, like I said, I am blown away by the effort I see that go into them. Just like I'm blown away by seeing cosplayers at conventions. Um, and the effort that goes into that, I'm, I when I first saw the New Voyages group and the Continues guys, uh, I was stunned by the level of effort that went into the props and the sets and the costumes yeah. and the effects and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's cool. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> if if life was a little different and I wasn't where I'm at right now, yes, I'd probably want to write a Star Trek script for one of these productions. But um, common sense precludes me from doing so right now. Right. You could try your hand at cosplay. I, you know, I'm. I've never been much for costuming. Um, again, I, I will admire the effort, but uh, I'm just not a cosplayer. No, I mean it's. I mean you can't monetize it. You can't monetize it. But there's. And to be honest, I don't. The guidelines are more for. It's like, hey, look, everybody. We understand people want to do this, so and we don't. They don't want to sue people. Right. Uh, but these are the guidelines. Like if you just if you just observe these guidelines will leave you alone for the most part you know just don't the biggest one is just don't try to make a profit off of it don't try to monetize it don't make it a business right uh, it's supposed to be a fan hobby i've gone round and round with uh, fan filmmakers who get it all up in arms about the guidelines and how short they say you can do and you can't tell a star trek story in 15 minutes and i say did you ever watch the animated series that was just barely 22 minutes i was gonna say did you ever listen <laughs> The, they've, the, been writing, they've been writing stories that long since the beginning of the medium, since the dawn of television. So The, the power know. records were 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, you can tell a decent, full, complete, and compelling Star Trek story under these guidelines. Kind of story. Yeah. My, 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 my contention is that the truly creative people will find a way to thrive. Yeah. That's so. Yeah. Anyway, again, thanks to Adam for giving me the theme song and for helping me with this podcast. And thanks to James Hamm with uh, Trek Sphere Network, which is going to be 
uh, carrying this podcast. So uh, you can find us there. You can find us at iTunes. My name is Steve Atwell. I will have a Facebook and Twitter for the Omega Directive. And that's just about it for me. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. Have a good night. Take care. And don't take any wooden quatloos. Bye-bye, Dayton. Thanks again. No, Bye-bye. we'll do it again. I'm, we'll do it again soon. Maybe we can get Kev- If you can get Kevin and I both on at the same time, you probably won't even have to say much. <laughs> so I look forward to that. All right. Well, take care, man. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.